Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at the next generation of transportation. What barriers need to be overcome before driverless cars will be available to the public in mass? When we can expect to see connected cars hitting the highways? And how driverless transportation will impact our everyday lives in terms of safety, mobility, and the environment. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more is John Estrada. John is a serial entrepreneur and software expert who's currently the CEO of eTran Systems. eTran Systems was formed to support all aspects of the software development lifecycle for connected vehicle technology. John is a founder and board member of Driverless Transportation, the premier destination online for information on autonomous and connected vehicles. He's also a founding partner of Daring and Estrada, an investment company that provides business acceleration and software development services to early stage companies and service organizations of large companies. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thank you. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So we have John here in studio with us today. And John, let's kick things off talking about driverless cars and the Consumer Electronics Show. It'll get kicked off in Vegas the day after we publish this episode. And automotive exhibits will account for close to 20% of the floor space at this year's CES. So what are you expecting to see unveiled at CES on, on the driverless transportation front that will really set tongues wagging? Well, if it's anything like last year, I think it'll be there'll be lots of uh, really exciting technology uh, uh, that comes out. And I I read somewhere recently that they now consider the Consumer Electronics Show at some level the biggest auto show that there is. <laughs> um, so you know there'll be a lot on automated parking. Right? You see more and more of that on um, in vehicles today, and we've saw last year, and I think there'll probably be three or four exhibits about that. Some of it'll be like automatic parallel parking. Some will be you know, parking in a, in a lot where the car will go off on its own. I know there's some underlying technology from companies like Bosch and NVIDIA and other vendors that will be announced. Um, and then I think there will also be a lot on connected vehicles, right? There's a lot of technology that's coming together. In fact, there's a show the day before uh, CES really gets kicked off that's uh, fully focused on uh, connected vehicles and you know, leading towards autonomous vehicles. And when you say connected vehicles, like vehicles that are connected to one another in some yeah. kind of network? Yeah, that's a good, good, good question. So connected vehicles kind of use two different ways. So one is you see a lot of infotainment, right? Mm-hmm. So you can get maps, you can get um, your Facebook and text messages and that thing. The other part is what the government's really pushing is connected vehicles for safety reasons. So you'd have unit in your car that's sort of broadcasting where you are, what you're doing, did you just slam on your brakes, and then other cars can get those messages and, you know, notify the driver so that, you know, accidents don't occur. And the government actually investing a lot and hopes to reduce accidents pretty substantially through that. Okay, great. And and we'll, we'll get to some of those stats later on in the podcast. Uh, and, and really some, some very promising stats. I think a lot of people are, are concerned about, you know, about driverless transportation, but it sounds like there are really some great possibilities for improving our safety on the roads. Uh, but but so what barriers do you see, John, standing in the way of making driverless cars available to the general public? So, there, you know, there still are quite a few. I mean, technology still isn't 100% there. 
um, not to be on any road at any time. I mean, Google does have like over 800,000 miles on their cars Mm -hmm. um, without an accident other than when someone backed into them. Um, And so it's coming along well. I think we'll see it roll out in um, like small areas, like a taxi system in a small to mid-sized town or things that will run on the highway. But the technology still has a ways to go. There's also going to be legal issues. Um, There's like four states in the District of Columbia that have passed laws um, around driverless cars, although interestingly enough, there's nothing that prohibits them in the, all the other states. You know, the laws weren't written to, to, to test or to stop something that no one really thought would happen back when they were put in place. Really? So there'll be challenges. You know, no, no manufacturer is trying to push it on those laws. But eventually that'll come into place and that, you know, got to get worked through. And then there'll be insurance issues as well. You know, so today, you know, you're covered. You have insurance as the driver. If you have an accident, or are in an accident, right? It's your insurance. It was your, you know, your responsibility or another driver's. If you had a driverless car, is it you didn't do anything, right? You didn't cause it to be in that accident. Would it be the manufacturer, the retailer? You know, where does all that come? So those issues will have to get resolved. But um, that'll happen. It'll start to roll out. You know, we'll see some uh, some examples rolling out as soon as next year. It's probably a good five, seven, ten years before you see a car that can kind of run anywhere, any road. Okay, got it. And and there are different. There are a number of different quote unquote levels of automation as defined by the National Highway Safety Transit Administration. Can you go through those tiers of just how driverless driverless cars are? Sure. Yeah, you're right. There's the, the Europeans have a level, the SAE, which um, engineers for automotive have their levels. But the, the governments, the NHSTAs, are, they, they say there's four levels. So there's a five. There's a level zero, which is no automation. Right? Which is what we have now. Which is kind of, ha- well, actually, some people actually have some levels. So people okay. have level one and two. But yeah, you okay, generally, gotcha. the car you bought yesterday, sure. last month, is nothing. You know, you drive it on your own. You're always in control. Um, so level one is there's some piece of automation in the car that's taking over a particular function and but kind of runs independently. So an example is what's called adaptive cruise control. We're all familiar with cruise control. You set it at 65 or 55 or whatever, and it stays with that. But you have to watch. Car in front of you slows down. You need to slow down too. Yep. Adaptive cruise control actually will take care of that for you. So you set the speed at 55 miles an hour, and it's also watching the car in front of you. If the car slows down, your car slows down. If it speeds up, it'll speed back up, up to the whatever maximum you set. So that's an example of, of an item um, that would be level one. Or you may have seen commercials for cars that will automatically stop by themselves. Like there's one of a little girl runs out of her soccer ball and uh, the car automatically stops. So that's right. an example of level one. Level two is really kind of a combination of two level ones. Okay, so adaptive cruise control. Um, today you can buy a lot of cars that have a lane notification system. So as you're drifting out of your lane, if you don't have your turn signal on, the car will warn you that, hey, you're crossing the lines, you know, you're, you really want to do that. Um, with the next generation, which is actually available in some Mercedes in Europe, it'll keep you in the lane, so it'll steer. Right? And so you have a form of some driverless transportation in a limited area, right? Because if you have the adaptive cruise control and the thing that will keep you in the lane, 
in a very limited environment, the car kind of drives itself. So it's you know, very nice, like in traffic, for example. Great. Um, but it, generally at that point, it's not going to change lanes, although there's lots of discussions about that. Yeah. Um, level three is where the car, under certain circumstances, will do all of the driving. Right. So um, the Google car today is is an example of that, where they will... Uh, They'll take it, it'll go out on the highway, and they'll turn that on, and you know it'll run until they're about to exit, in which case they turn it back off, and they'll get, get um, the driver takes back over. Mm-hmm. A lot of controversy in, in, in that in the sense of will drivers really be able to react? If the car says, hey, you need to take over now, how quickly um, will the driver be able to take back over um, and if you're using it a lot, will your skills as a driver erode? So that one's very controversial. Mm-hmm. And then level four is full automation. Right? You may have seen there was an announcement by Google of their little bubble car uh, in the spring, and you know they're trying their plan is to build that car without a steering wheel, without brake pedals. Um, you know you would just give it a destination through a you know a tablet kind of thing and it would go. So that's a level four car plans to drive itself all the time. Okay. So, so that feeds nicely into the next question. Cause even hearing about a car that doesn't have brake pedals and a steering wheel, like ratchets up my anxiety level a little <laughs> bit. And, and, and yeah, I think that's natural, right? I mean, I think people are, are afraid to give up control of their cars. It's something that we've just been conditioned to do. You know, you look forward to getting your license when you turn 16 and it, basically affords you the freedom to, to go where and where you want, when you want. But we're moving away from that eventually. So are there other areas that you can think of where, you know, skills or, well, let's just call them skills that were once, you know, controlled by humans, we've now ceded to machines, for lack of a better way to put it, with positive results? Yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a, there's a number of examples. So directions is something, right? You always had to get out a map or... You know, if you're going on a business trip, you had to call the people up, figure out how to get from the airport to their office, their hotel. I mean, now you just trust that Google Maps or Apple Maps or MapQuest that they'll, you give them address and they're going to tell you how to get there and and we count on it, right? Right. And there's, of course, lots of examples in business. Like if you watch a manufacturing line, all sorts of pieces of that happen by dedicated robots to do particular pieces. Um, you know, that human beings used to do themselves. Um, so there's a lot of areas like that. We actually ride on a fair number of driverless vehicles today. Right? At most or many major airports, the tram or train that takes you between terminals is a driverless car. Now, it's in a very limited environment. It's on a track. It doesn't have all the same complications of driving down the road. Um, but it is a driverless car. There's also subway systems or like monorail systems in Detroit, Las Vegas are two examples. There's also one in Singapore that are driverless. Uh, here in Washington, um, they're going to turn back on. They had some issues with it, but part of the metro system will be driverless trains. So mm-hmm. we are seeing more and more of that. And I think as people get, uh, as it comes out in in stages, people will get more and more used to it. Like I've never seen anyone not get on the tram at Dulles because. <laughs> There was nobody driving the little train right now. Again, it's in a much more controlled environment. Sure. Yeah. 
Okay, great. So, so let me ask you about some areas where driverless transportation will make a huge difference in the way we live our lives. And, and three that, uh, that you've identified and some material that you shared with me before the podcast were safety, mobility, and the environment. So can you share with listeners some of the ways that driverless transportation will change our lives in the future in those three areas? Yeah, so probably, you know, at some level, the biggest thing is related to safety. Right. So, um, you know, there's lots of car accidents, lots of issues around that. And and the big thing that a, a autonomous or a driverless car will do, it doesn't have with the four D's of driving, drunkenness, distracted driving, drug driving or drowsy driving. And human beings are susceptible to all of those things. Right. And that's a huge part of why the roads are fairly dangerous. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I read some quote one where that says, hey, driving is now the distraction, right? Uh, you <laughs> want to eat your McDonald's and listen to the radio and talk on your phone, all those things happening. Oh, I got to drive too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we're really not that good. <laughs> and, you know, we weren't really designed to do things at 70 miles an hour, right? We yeah. haven't evolved. We're just evolving now, I guess, to handle those sort of things. <laughs> so um, in terms of mobility, um, people spend a lot of time. Right, sitting in their car, uh, generally sitting in their car by themselves in traffic. Getting uh, here in Washington D.C., we know all about traffic. Oh yes, um, it took me an hour and forty minutes the other night to make what should have been a thirty-minute trip. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, that's not that atypical here. And it wasn't snowing, right? It wasn't like something like that where the city will really fall apart. Yeah, um, yeah. So imagine you sort of get all that time back, um, and you could do things. So you could, um, you know. Do work on on your tablet, on your laptop. You could talk on the phone. You could send text messages. You could read. You could sleep. Um, and uh, so, from a mobility perspective, you know that's a large a large advantage. Mm-hmm. From an environmental perspective, uh, driverless cars should be able to run more optimally. So one will be um, because the reaction times will be lower. They can drive safely, drive closer together which means you can fit more cars on the road, which means we can build less roads. And we're kind of at sort of a max. There's really not that much space or money to continue to build more and more highways. And so we've seen a big slowdown in that, and I don't think that's going to change. Other things, there's technology called platooning, right, where cars, and, or probably more importantly, trucks, can ride right you know, behind each other. And the trucks can save a huge amount of gas. So if you have just two trucks platooning, even the front truck saves gas because of the way the airflow is. So it can get about 4% better gas mileage. The back truck can get about 10% better gas mileage. If you do three trucks, the ones in the middle save on both sides, so they're getting like 14. And in a fleet of trucks, especially if you're someone like UPS or FedEx, that can be a huge savings, you know, hundreds of $100,000 a year per vehicle. Sure. So that's a big thing. So I think all those things together are, are some of the driving factors um, in what will happen. I think, you know, some theories that part of the Google uh, reason for building the vehicles is so that you have that much more time to watch ads on, on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank goodness for that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it sounds like probably some... Uh, some NASCAR science is at play. If anybody's familiar with the concept of drafting, probably the, the closer you can get those cars closer together, the uh, the the faster they can go and the more seamless they can go and the less gas they will use in theory. Yeah. Okay. So so let's let's talk about the uh, the 
the safety aspect uh, a little bit. The DOT put out a report not long ago about the percentage of crashes that driverless transportation systems could help address. Could you share some of the results and percentages of, of that study with listeners? And if you know them off the top of your head, you know, traffic fatality numbers yep. in the U.S.? Yeah. So um, so about 33,000 people die each year in the U.S. from automobile accidents. In fact, it is the number one killer of people 1 to 34. And so if you make it to that first year for the next 33 years, you're most likely going to make it. But if you don't, there's a good chance it was in an automobile accident. And worldwide, as bad as the roads are in the U.S., they're worse in many other parts of the world, over a million people die each year. And it's been estimated that we spend $780 billion or waste in traffic and, and cost around transportation issues. So what the expectation is that or well, I guess the other study shows that those accidents, 90% of them are human error, right? Someone didn't pay attention, someone screwed up, and that had optimal driving happen, they wouldn't have had those accidents. Mm -hmm. There's some cases that, you know, there's between kind of a rock and a hard place, you're going to get something. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so the expectation is with these new technologies that those crashes can be eliminated. I mean, there's some discussion about going to zero. I don't think we'll actually get to zero, but, um, but you know, 90%, and that could make a, you know, obviously be a big difference. Yeah. I feel like that's something you never hear about when people talk about driverless cars, or, or, or maybe I just don't read enough about it, right? But there's, and I don't want to call it fear-mongering, because like we talked about before, I think it's natural to to not be necessarily comfortable with not being in control of something you've always been in control of. But that seems like an angle that's not played up very much when you hear about driverless transportation. Yeah, you would think. I mean, how many walks are there for this cancer or, uh, you know, marathons or whatever? There's all sorts of fundraising things for all sorts of, of uh, medical issues. Imagine if I came to you and said, hey, we're trying to cure the number one killer of people from 1 to 34. Yeah. And that should be big news. You would think so, yeah. And part of it is they just happen all the time. Yeah. Right. I mean, every you know, probably three or four people have been killed since we started this podcast. Yeah. And I'm uh, sure there are, you know, I, I would imagine for most listeners out there, their lives have been touched by somebody who's passed away in a car wreck. I know, yeah. you know, two people growing up that, that died in car wrecks that were close friends yeah. or friends of the family. Yeah. And so some of them, in fact, if you look at the stories of some of the Google guys who really started pushing it, that was their story. It was one guy's wife and one guy lost his best friend. And, uh, um, you know, that's been a driving factor for them. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so let me ask you about, about industries where you think uh, driverless transportation will have a big impact. Obviously, there are some where you don't have to be, you know, Einstein to, to see <laughs> that they will be affected, shipping, ground transportation. What are some other industries that you see as being potentially revolutionized by driverless vehicles that wouldn't be so obvious to people that maybe aren't as close to the space as you are? Yeah, that's a good question because there is a lot. Um, so parking is one. Right? Mm -hmm. So today, a huge percentage of every downtown is dedicated um, to parking. Right? you got to put those cars somewhere. Or even worse, in like the outer cities here in uh, Outside of Washington, D.C., there's a place called Tyson's Corner. There are three parking spaces for every car because you expect I drive to work, I got to park my car. Lunch, I got to go to the restaurant, I got to park my car. People live there. So a huge amount of that of that city is dedicated to parking. Mm -hmm. If you have a driverless car, car drops you off, it can go park itself. It can go out to the edge of town. It can go, go wherever. Um, 
or actually, I think we're the other part of the the revolution evolution is you know we're seeing more shared uh, economy environment. So Uber, Zipcar, um, you know, and then in other industries, Airbnb and places like that. Ninety five percent of the time, your car is sitting doing nothing. Right. We both drove here today. We have two cars sitting out there in the parking lot, just collecting dust. All right. Imagine if that car could go do something. Right. Or if you know you don't always the car you buy is sort of the biggest one that you'll need. I used to drive a suburban. I had my three kids at home. It was great on the weekends. It was um, could fit them, their friends, all sorts of stuff in the car. But I drove that car by myself to work every day. It was a huge car. Mm-hmm. All I really needed was, you know, like a smart car to take me to work. And then on the weekends, if I could have that. So we'll go to this shared environment um, for cars where you'll just kind of like you can do with an Uber car today. You just ask for one. The car shows up. You get in. You go where you want to go. And then the car goes off and does that for somebody else. And with that, they've done studies that can show you can reduce the number of cars by almost 80%. Now you got to factor in the car will get used a lot more. So it'll be more like a tax, you know, cars today can last 10, 15 years. If you think of like a taxi cab, they're not lasting that long. So there, it won't be quite an 80% reduction, but there'll be a lot less, a lot less vehicles. Other, other places that will be impacted, um, local governments, right? They get a significant part of their revenue from parking tickets, from, Speeding tickets from things like that, that's all going to go away. It may also impact what they need from police protection. How many policemen are there out there doing traffic-related um, chores? They won't need to do those anymore. Right. Um, and then a couple other that are you know, interesting as well. One is um, organ donors. The vast majority of organs that are donated come from car accident victims. You don't, you know, the other way people typically die is they're very old, they've some or diseased. Mm -hmm. You don't want organs from people who are either very old or very diseased. So it's, you know, young people, people one to 34 who are dying are donating organs. So that's a that'll be an interesting challenge. I'm I'm thinking another interesting technology 3D printing will eventually solve that problem, right? Sure. Um, And then the other thing is alcohol. I would suggest buying stocks in alcohol as driverless cars. You know, you're out with your friends. Oh, I can't have another drink or, you know, I only have one or none. Everyone can have one more drink. It'll add up a lot. So yeah. Okay. So so buy um, in, InBev and Diageo and uh, all the other alcohol uh, companies out there. Um, Okay, great. So, so let me ask John: Do you ever, do you ever worry? And, and not to touch on the the, the dark side of uh, of you know driverless cars, but do you do you worry that the first time something bad happens with a driverless car, there will be you know, like all the tech media outlets will 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 rush to like denounce them, and that will be you know, the end of driverless cars as we know it? And I, I think it'll be a setback, and it's certainly going to happen. Right. I mean, we all use software and the the software that's going to be in these cars is going to be tested and checked and and uh, a lot more than, you know, what's in your PC, because obviously the impact of it going wrong, is a lot greater. Um, But it will happen. And there'll be, you know, there'll be a a position where the car has a choice. I'm either going to hit the truck or I'm going to hit the pedestrian or I'm going to hit the other car. You know, it's not going to change the laws of physics. So all those things are going to happen. Yeah, I think it will be. And I think, you know, people will react different. Like, again, we're not reacting at all, basically, to 
car accidents today. Mm-hmm. They're in the news every day. This will be news, and so it'll have some. But I don't think I think the benefits will so greatly outweigh the negative that it'll be a, a hurdle, but a hurdle to get through. Yeah. So, have, have have I assume the answer is yes? But have you taken a ride in a driverless car? I have actually. So at last CES, I got to go in a um, a vehicle by a company called. Um, Induct, they're Navia, and uh, I've also been in connected vehicles, and I'm hoping to ride in one again um, at CES this year. Okay, nice. And and how long do you think it will be before I'm driving down 95 and I look over and I see you reading a book at the steering wheel of a, of a car next to me? Five years, 10 years? Well, unfortunately, you can see that today, but that person's supposed to be paying attention. <laughs> but but um, yeah, I think you will see, well, I think you'll see it first, honestly, in in town, in limited areas, um, where uh, the vehicles are limited to like 25 miles an hour. They're actually rolling out um, in 2016 um, some in some cities in the UK. We're right in downtown. They'll have driverless cars. Now they'll be limited to like 15 miles an hour, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, the Google bubble car, they specifically put it at 25 miles an hour because the rules are different. Plus, like the your likelihood if you're hit by a car, your likelihood of dying at 35 miles an hour versus 25 miles an hour is like 20 times greater. So the impact can be significantly different. Um, I think on the highway, I mean, if you go to California now, there's a number of Google employees who commute that way. You could see it today. Okay. So um, we haven't passed any laws in Virginia here yet that you can see it. But I it, certainly in five years, I think it'll be. It, at least in test environments, there'll be regular test environments. I don't know that you'll be commercially available able to buy one off. Right. Um, you know, 2020 seems to be a year that people are predicting. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, that seems fitting. You know, 2020, yeah. right? That's yeah. like that's like when the future really arrives, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, actually, they're thinking about it a little bit more. There are Mercedes that you can buy today that wouldn't be a driverless car except for on the highway. I think actually you'll see that in two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Chevrolet, or, uh, General Motors announced, uh, Mary Brava, the, the CEO, uh, in September that they'll start rolling out their Super Cruise in Cadillacs in two years. Okay. So two years, I guess. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the UK. I was over in India not too long ago. And it seems like the global market for this would just be huge. I mean, traffic over there is insane, um, like literally insane. I mean, you have people, you have people on bikes, you have people on motor scooters, you have their kind of tiny cabs, you have cars, like lanes seemingly don't exist. Yes. There are uh, like lights people kind of pay attention to, kind of don't. So anyway, it seems like there's a huge global opportunity for this as well. Yeah, India will be India in particular will be a challenge. But I yeah, we're I mean, as you look at this, I mean, we have a, a bit of a US centric focus, but you know, a lot of the technology, a lot of the R&D is being done in the auto countries, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Germany, Japan, Korea, US. So, I think we'll certainly see it rolling out there. There's also a lot of trials and stuff in the Middle East where there's a good bit of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all may also see stuff roll out in China. Um, sooner rather than later. Uh, again, you know, big country, a lot of money. And remember, we talked back in the beginning about what are the hurdles. Well, the legal and insurance hurdles are probably a lot different in a place like China. Yeah, I can get the bio on those much easier. So yeah, yeah I think we'll see it in all sorts of places. 
uh, fairly quickly. Okay, nice. So so we started off talking about CES. Let's close things out talking about an event that will be a little closer to home here for you and me, John. The 94th Annual TRB Conference, which will be in D.C. from January 11th through the 15th. Can you share a little info about that conference with listeners and talk about what types of presentations will be taking place that you're most excited to see? Yeah, so that one's a little bit different. Yeah, consumer electronics is obviously, um, it's really a, geared for electronics manufacturers to sell their wares to um, retailers, right? And that's how that show started out. It's become a, definitely sort of a, a place that people announce new products. TRB, um, the transportation reviewer is very research focused. So there'll be much more academics. There'll be a lot of, of cutting edge. These are the kind of things that we can do, but there'll be the kind of things that we won't see, you know, for three, four five years. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's a big event. It's moved this year into the, taken over the Washington Convention Center. Um, there'll be lots of interesting uh, exhibits and papers on, on, on what's happening Uh, mostly in the academic environment. Okay, great. Uh, Well, John, thanks so much for coming in today. It was great uh, great catching up with you about the future or the next generation of transportation. It's Uh, exciting, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) definitely, absolutely. I do look forward to riding down 95 and looking over and seeing you read a book, (laughs) not at control of a uh, traditional car. Yeah, you won't see me reading the book if I'm supposed to be driving, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, John, thanks again. I appreciate it. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about John Estrada and the organizations he's involved with, you can find out more about the company he runs, eTrans Systems, at eTransSystems.com. The driverless transportation website we mentioned can be found at www.driverlesstransportation.com, and you can sign up for their mile marker email newsletter there. Thanks so much to John Estrada for joining us this week, and thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have former Walt Disney Studios CTO Greg Brando joining us to talk about the keys to being a successful innovation leader. We'll be discussing the book that he co-wrote, Collective Genius, which was named one of Business Insider's 20 Best Business Books to Read This Summer in 2014. We'll also talk about his experience working with Steve Jobs at Next and Pixar and the importance of establishing a company where workers feel a sense of community and psychological safety. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.